The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Damien Rivera, I'm one of the elders here this morning, and we're uh, going to take some time to focus on the act of giving. Why do I like or love to give for the service of the gospel? God has through his sovereign will, decided that we should partake in his plan of salvation by spreading the gospel, by using our wretched selves to tell other people about his love for us, that, that he breaks the power of canceled sin. We have to tell people this. And the the means in which we get to do that a lot of the times is by giving. It's by being thankful to a generous God. He was so generous to us, why should we not be generous in return since everything that we have is his? There's, um, there's an understanding uh, between my wife and I that uh, whenever a special need comes up, We'll both think of a number, um, and then we'll tell each other what the number is. And every single time, I'm telling you, it is without fail. And I attribute this to the power of the Holy Spirit because we both have the same Holy Spirit, that every single time it is the same number. Even if that number makes it a little difficult for us for the next couple of months in our budgeting, doesn't matter. It is, it is with pleasure and with joy that we, that we have the, the privilege of sharing what God has given to us with those who need to hear his word. So let's pray for the offering now and, uh, and we'll continue. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace that you've shown us, for the love that you have lavished upon us for the generosity that you have given us in giving us your son, for being willing to make wretches your treasure, to being willing to bruise your son for our transgressions. Father, give us a heart of generosity, the same heart of generosity that, that you have when you gave your son Give us a heart of generosity so that other people might also hear the gospel, might hear the great news of Jesus Christ, might believe in him and have life eternal. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Savior God to thee how 
So I was supposed to start this by saying, please stand for the reading of God's word, but you're already doing that. So please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We are in Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. I'm jealous of your reading voice. You'd like (laughs) nail it. Well, good morning, guys. Maybe you're like me, and you unfortunately have to learn the most important lessons in life the hard way. And maybe you're like me, and the moments when you mess up, you uh, learn those lessons even better than if you didn't mess up in the first place. Well, in the subject of the Reformation, And with the subject that we're going to look at this morning, I have a moment in my life when I have messed up terribly, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. When I was an intern, I had the opportunity to write some Bible study lessons for the church, 
and the lessons were on something like 10 words that'll change your life or 10 words that you have to know. It was all about all these theological words that we should hold on to. And it's like sanctification and glorification and propitiation and adoption, all these shun words. Well, we got to the word of justification, which is a very important word. We're going to talk about it a lot this morning. Got to the word justification. And of course, as you know, an intern, as a guy training for, for ministry, didn't want to mess up. So opened up all of my theological books on my desk and made sure that I read deeply on things and I understood what was going on. I mean, it was a Bible study lesson, so I was going to write like five paragraphs, but I went deep into the weeds and, and then I sat down with my pastor and we were working through wordsmithing of things and flow of thought, making sure that when we presented this to the church that it was going to be accurate and it was going to be a great time of discussion with the groups. And I met with his pastor the, the last time and he says, okay, Ryan, now you... It's a great job. It's almost all the way there. Why don't you go and just clean some things up and, and, and work on some things, and then you can format it and you can send it out. So I went back to my office and opened up the Word document that we've been working on and read over it another three or four times and made some edits and changed some words and made sure that everything flowed, and I formatted it, and then I sent it out. About 30 minutes later, the pastor comes walking into my office with a printed copy of this Bible study on justification. And he goes, Ryan, what'd you do? You missed it. You messed it up. It's wrong. And I'm like, well, hang on. We just talked about this and you were on board. How is it now wrong? He goes, you changed the one word in this entire document that you could not change and you undid the Reformation. He didn't exactly say it that way, but I actually did undo the Reformation. And he then wrote a, another response, another Bible study response about why the first lesson was wrong and changed that one word. And here's what I did in the midst of all of my uh, adjustments. Word gave those, you know, two blue lines. is like, maybe there's a better way to say this. And I said that we are made righteous before the Lord, that in justification we are made righteous before the Lord. And that undoes the Reformation. Now, just hold on to that. You might know my mistake. You might know, yeah, that's the, that's the wrong wording and where I made that mistake. We're going to get back to it. But this morning is Reformation Sunday. It is that time in the church calendar when we stop and we remind ourselves of the, the battles that were fought all the way back in 1517 for the gospel. Now, maybe you don't know about the Reformation. Maybe this is some new language for you. So allow me to just describe for you what it is. The Reformation was the great rediscovery of the gospel. It, it was not uh, a new gospel, it was the rediscovery of the gospel. Because you see, over th throughout the Dark Ages and from the centuries from Christ leading up to the 1500s, so much stuff had been thrust into the church that the beautiful realities of the gospel had been lost. And they hadn't been lost because they had changed the Bible, they hadn't been lost because they had stopped doing spiritual work, they had been lost because so much other stuff, so many other good things had come in and they had replaced the most important things. And if you were a Christian at that time, it was a confusing mess. You know, last week I referenced how difficult it can be to find a church in today's society in Nashville because there's more churches than gas stations. We talked about how, you know, as you're checking out the church, there's some new faces in this room, so you're probably going through this right now. You know, you have to figure out what type of denomination do I want? What type of service am I looking for? What type of activities does this church have? Well, if you were trying to find a church in the 1500s, it was very easy. You had one option. You had the Roman Catholic Church. 
And every church looked the same. Every church sounded the same. Every church was run by the same hierarchy. Every church followed the same order. It was a very simple thing. But it was a church that was difficult to live in. Because allow me for a moment just to um, give you a little picture of what church would have been like in the 1500s. We're used to coming into a church and hearing our native tongue spoken. We're used to hearing the word of God that's written in English. We all have a Bible at our disposal, either in our hands in a printed copy or on our phones. If you walked into a church in the 1500s, me, the, the pastor, the priest at the time, would be speaking an entirely different language. It would be Latin. And you, as the commoner, probably wouldn't know Latin because Latin was a dead language, but Latin was the language that the priest would study. And so the entire service would be in Latin. So you would do, go through all these stand up, sit down, all of these rituals. And you're like, well, now I don't know what's exactly being said. When the priest would read the word of God, they would read from the Latin Vulgate. So you would hear the word of God, not in your native tongue, but you knew you needed to be there. It was a very confusing place. But you also knew that there was a level of separation between you and God that you desperately wanted to um, cross over. You knew that you were not at peace with God. You knew that you were a sinner. And so everything you did in church was to receive God's grace. And frankly, you understood that the thing that you were lacking, it was going to be hard work to get there. Church during this time was a thriving shame culture. And the reason that it was a thriving shame culture is because you knew and you were reminded every single thing that you did wrong and you had to overcome that through spiritual rites, through confessions, through ordinances, through tithing, through giving, through you trying to work hard enough to bring yourself to God. The fear of death and the unknown would take everyone hostage. Everyone knew I am not right with God, but I need to be right with God. And doubt permeated everything. I mean, church during this time was a, was a treacherous nature. It was, it was a, a difficulty because everyone understood their weight of sin. Everyone knew their separation, but they didn't know how to uh, cross that void. They didn't know how they could be good with God. You see, in all of the fear and the dread and the doubt, they had forgotten the beautiful realities of the gospel. They had turned grace into law. They had turned faith into works. They had, a, they had created a system where we are justified when we are made righteous before God. And that's what I put on that piece of paper saying that justification was. When they were made righteous before God. Now, I hope that that description is so contrary to anything that you know about in your own Christian life. And you could ask the question, then how did we get from that to today? Well, what happened was the Reformation. What happened was a man by the name of Martin Luther happened upon the doctrines of grace again, had the rediscovery of the gospel and realized, oh my goodness, I have gotten so many things wrong. I just want to read for you Luther's description of Christianity and his, and his life with Christ prior to the Reformation. And I just want you to feel the weight that is in his soul. And maybe even this is something where you need to rediscover the beautiful realities of the gospel. And you might even uh, uh, agree with this weight this morning. 
Here's what he said. Here's, here's how Luther believed God's view towards sinners was. He says this. Although God is merciful and Christ has died for the sins of the world, the responsibility of the sinner is to act on the behalf of his own soul by rigorous self-examination, by good works and self-denial, by prayer, by pious exercises. A God is willing to forgive the sinner, but there are conditions that must be met in which lie within the power of the sinner to perform. Above all, the sinner must be truly contrite and must make a sincere and complete confession. Martin Luther believed that to his core. And he set out in life to fulfill the conditions that, that have to be met in order to be saved. And the things that we hear about Luther's life was that he was the best possible priest, the best possible follower, the most pious and devout individual that you, there could be. The story is like he would go to the confession and he would share for hours on end until the priest, the other priests who were hearing his confessions would say, Luther, go home, go to sleep. You're done. You've thought about everything. You've checked all the boxes. You are good. And yet Luther knew inside him and said, but I am not good. There's sin inside of me. He thought that making pilgrimages to Rome and crawling up on his hands and knees, praying every step of the way and, and praying to the Lord would save him. And yet he'd get to the top and he would look down and say, I'm just as far from God at the top of the stairs as I was at the bottom of the stairs. I mean, he was just aching in his soul knowing I am not good with God and everything that I do cannot get me there. And so what did he do? He turned to scripture. Because Luther was an Augustinian monk. Luther had been trained in Greek and Hebrew and Latin. Luther could open up his Bible and read the words of God, and that's what he did. And he went to Romans. And in, with that fervency of his soul of, I have to figure out how I can be good with God, he started reading in Romans, and he gets to Romans 5. That we just read this morning. And he hears the words, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he realized is that he is not justified when he makes himself righteous before the Lord, but rather justification has to be something different. I'm not going to go any further before I describe for you where my mistake was in that Bible study. When we are justified before the Lord, we are not made righteous. I am not righteous. I am a sinner because I'm stuck in this body of death until God glorifies me. I am still a sinner. I still sin. I am not righteous. If you spend, go ask my wife, if you spend any time with me at all, I am not righteous at all. But I'm declared righteous. And the reason that I'm declared righteous is because while I'm not righteous, Christ was righteous. While I sin all the time because I'm stuck in this body of death, Christ never sinned. He came to earth, he lived the life that was required of all of us, but he lived that perfect life. Imagine that. Every situation that you're faced with, if Christ was faced with it, he would, do, he would live through that sinlessly. He lived that sinful life and died on the cross and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. But by grace, through faith, we are declared righteous. Why? Because it's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that is imputed, that is given to me. 
so that when God looks at me justified in Christ, he does not see Ryan as 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 the sinner that I am. He sees Christ's righteousness applied to me. Paul, in reading through Romans, having his eyes open to the truth of the gospel, realizes that the peace that he has been longing for, the peace that he's been working for, is not found through doing. It's found through believing. It's not found through merit. It's found through rest. And he gets to Romans 5, as I said, and he goes, we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God and his mind is blown. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to have a very simple sermon, but I want us to just remember the amazing realities of the gospel. Because if there's any day that we we should do this every Sunday, and we do do this every Sunday, but if there's any day that we stop and just consider the the mind-blowing realities of what it means to live post-Reformation, it is this, that we have peace with God. Now, why Romans 5? Because I could go to Romans 1, that's where actually his, where Paul says his first Sorry, where Luther says, uh, you know, he, the, the, the eye, his eyes came open with uh, 1.16, or we could go to 3 in Romans 3. There's, there's also that, but why 5? Well, here's what one commentator said. If you only had the first four, verse, four chapters of Romans, we would have enough information to be saved. All the big intellectual questions of life are answered in these four chapters. And there is more than enough in these first four chapters to bring you from death to life. But in chapter 5, something happens. In chapter 5, Paul changes his focus from learning how to be saved to looking at what living in that salvation looks like. Before Paul, Paul's transition can be complete, though, from going from here's what has happened, here's what you need to do, to here's what the beautiful realities of the gospel are. He has this transition statement in 5, 1 through 11 that we just read, and it's beautiful because it starts with orthodoxy, and it ends with doxology. You can just hear Paul writing this. He goes, oh yeah, here's justification and here's really important. And by the end of it, he's like, hallelujah, what a savior that we get to live in this reality. So here's how we're gonna tackle this, these 11 verses this morning. There's really four things that we can see from out of this passage because of our justification. Here's our changed life. I just wanted to add some structure to it all so that we can uh, follow through. Because of our justification, we have a change in status. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 2. Because of our justification, we have a change in outlook. Because of our justification, we have a change in anthem. Because of our justification, we have a change in standing. Those are the four headings. Those are the four things we're going to look at. Let's jump into it. Because of our justification, we have a change in status. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse one stands opposed to every other religious system that this world offers us. And it stands opposed to every other religious system that this world offers us because every other system says, if you want peace, you have to do enough. If you want peace, you have to fill in the blank, whatever their personal curated list of things that they have to do, you have to do this. But 
with Christianity, with Christ, with justification. It's not you have to do enough, it's you have to look to the right person. And I will just point this out, this is just to dig into the Greek slightly here. The same level of justification that you have is equal to the same level of peace that you have because it's modified by the same thing. The, the Greek word here that modifies uh, both justification and sanctification. And so if, if you could say, well, I know that I'm justified, but I don't know if I have that level of peace, you also then have to question your justification. But if you say, I solidly know that I am justified in Christ, and look at the wording, have been justified. It's not this thing of you will be justified, you could be justified, you might be justified. That, that's that, if you're made righteous speech, that's that, that idea of it's, it's up to you. No, you have been justified, and therefore you have peace with God. I mean, when I wrote that lesson, and I sent it out to the church, and I had that one little word in there of made righteous. That is a damning thing to believe and to follow. Damning. And the reason it's damning is because I'm setting everyone up for failure, myself included. Because there is no possible way that we can ever be good enough. And that's definitely not what Paul, how he describes our justification. Turn, turn back to Romans 3. As I said, the Romans 1 through 4 has all of the intellectual knowledge in order for us to be saved. Romans 5 is going from the orthodoxy to doxology. Here's what it says in Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If, you hear, if you're here in the room this morning, you're like, no, I think I can make it. I think that I can actually make myself righteous. I think I'm good to go. Romans 3.23 uh, puts us all in the same box. But here 24. For we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified by his grace as a gift. How easy is it for us to leave that theological position? We highlight the Reformation each year, and it's, it's one of these points of conversation that we have around here because we understand how easy it is to change that language. We could say we're justified as the result of our faithfulness. We're justified because God has to save us. We might be justified when we live a good enough life, but Paul here, you know, we are justified by his grace as a gift, not because of us, not through us, but through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you might go, how is that possible? Well, 25 answers that. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That was another one of those big words that that Bible study covered. Here's what propitiation means that when Christ died on the cross, his, he satisfied all of God's wrath for your sin. He was the substitute. He was the advocate. He took on our sin on himself and all of God's wrath was poured out upon it and satisfied it. Not 
not, um, you know, pushed it off like the, like the sacrifices in the Old Testament did of expiation. No, he, it was a propitiation. He satisfies it there so that we can be justified by grace as a gift. To be received by faith, this is 25, to, this was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance that he had passed over former sins. So going back to Romans 5, what does this new status offer us? What do we gain by this new status? It's very simple. Access to God. That's what verse 2 says. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I mean, it is, it's, the picture that I have in my mind is Adam and Eve being pushed out of the Garden of Eden. Losing, physically losing their access to God. Why? Because of their sin. Because God says, I can't stand sin. I can't be in the presence of sin. My divine wrath must be poured out against sin. And yet on the other side of justification, on the other side of being declared righteous, on the other side of us saying, by grace through faith, we can, we, we can have life. The status that we receive is access. I mean, just think about it. every time somebody gets close to God, you know, like Isaiah, falls on your face, and what's he say? I am a sinner. I should not be here. Woe is me. I am ruined. Because he knew I don't belong with God. What Romans 5 tells us is those who are justified in Christ belong in the presence of God. Believer, you belong in the presence of God. You can one. You can now have that connection to God. I mean, I, I just want to compare this with how Christianity. Some will put that in quotes. How Christianity prior to the Reformation was offered. You couldn't have access to God. That's what Martin Luther understood. That's why he kept going to the confession. That's why he kept doing the penance. That's why he kept trying to work hard enough so that he could gain access to God. He thought, if I can make myself righteous enough, I can get in there. But he knew, I don't, I can't. And even this idea that as the pilgrim, as a commoner, you had to come, you had to go to the priest who was your mediator. And they looked at these priests and they looked at the church and they looked at just the Christian religious, all the rites that people were doing and saying, have I done enough that God might accept me? But in the gospel, in Romans 5, in justification, what we hear is because, of, because we have been justified and declared righteous and we have peace with God, we have access to him. You know, as I said, this passage is both orthodoxy and doxology. And notice how quickly Paul turns to unpack this new access that we have. Because you've been justified, here's how your life is going to change. Which leads us to our next point. We have a different outlook on life. I mean, here, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You used to look at suffering and think, God is angry with me. You used to look at suffering and say, God's not my friend. You used to look at suffering and go, I must be a sinner on my way to hell. 
Paul now very quickly turns and goes, listen, this access means that at the, at, at the core of who we are, when we're living in this dark life, when we're living in this body of death in this sinful world with the brokenness around us waiting for glorification to happen, we can rejoice in our sufferings. That's a hard verse for me to read. You know, it's actually, you know, it's an easy verse for me to read. It's a hard verse for me to apply. Rejoice in our sufferings. You know, the sufferings that Paul was talking about in Romans were far greater than anything than most of us go through in life. He had persecution in mind. He had death in mind. He had imprisonment in mind. He had stonings in mind. I mean, this is Paul writing this. Paul has a very um, interesting history I mean, he's, he's, what he's known for is being shipwrecked and being stoned and being mocked and being kicked out of cities and being thrown into prison and going through difficult things. And yet he can look at all of those and then tell us we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. What we hear is that suffering is not a form of punishment or lacking in a believer. But rather, suffering here is a moment where we can grow in our knowledge of Christ's sustaining power in our life. That we can see that suffering and we can go, I'm hoping for something. I'm hoping in the, in the, in, in the better thing that's coming. We can look at the suffering and go, this is not how it's supposed to be. This body of death that we're in is not how it's supposed to be. This sin that we're dealing with is not how it's supposed to be. This suffering that we're going through is not how it's supposed to be. But guess what? I have the hope that one day, because I have been declared righteous, and regardless of even the weakness in my own self, that regardless of that, I will stand with God in heaven in full joy. That's the hope that we have. And our outlook is fundamentally changed because of this justification. And this leads us into having a new anthem. And I think it, it falls on the heels of this new outlook, but this new anthem is this. The anthem is, of the Christian life is not that when you've done enough, Christ will save you. Is not look at the accounting of your own merits. The anthem is that we get to look at what Christ has done for us and just stop right there. This was the great rediscovery that Martin Luther had. This, this one piece was the great rediscovery that salvation is by grace through faith. There's five solas, they're, they're up here. Sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura, sola Christos, and sola Deo gloria. All of these solas point away from the person to God. I mean, the first one, the foundation, if I could just quickly go over these because I know they're here. The first one, sola scriptura. The issue that Luther had was he started listening to all of the other voices in his world, all of the other well-meaning voices, all of the other religious voices, but all of the other voices that weren't scripture, all of the church traditions, all of the priests and the popes, all of that stuff, as I said, that had just crowded the space where scripture was supposed to be. And when the, the, when the gospel was rediscovered, it was when... Luther, I keep wanting to say Paul, but when Luther shoved all of that aside and goes, what does the Bible say? Let's go there. And out of it, you got to hear, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the blood of 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that we go, oh, well, our salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Not for my glory, but for the glory of God alone. That is the anthem of our life. When he would no longer walk into those confessionals saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He would, he would walk around going, I am a sinner whom the Lord was merciful on, and the Lord can be merciful to you as well. This anthem that we have, this gospel that we preach, is, is one that declares us righteous. And not on the basis of what we have done. And hear this, because this is one of the confusing ways. And not on the basis of what we will do. We can confuse this gospel reality when we think God saved me because he knew the good works that I will do for him. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your good works at all. I mean, we get to do our good works out of honor for him, but he didn't save you because he's looking down the pike and going, Ryan's gonna do really great things for the Lord. No, he doesn't need me. But rather, the anthem is that in spite of who we are. I've been talking around, this is the, these are the verses once again, verse six, five, six. For while we were still weak, and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were his enemies when we didn't even want to follow him, when we didn't have an eye towards him, when we were shaking our fists at him. That's when Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were weak. The beautiful realities of the gospel is that there is, we offer nothing to Christ. There is no strength that we bring to Christ. There is no righteousness that he needs that's in us. It's that while we were weak and dead and frail, then Christ came and lived the perfect life. Then Christ justified us and declared us righteous. Then Jesus looks at us and says, I wouldn't say sit down. No, you didn't even get up. You're hopeless. Let me give you what you desperately need. That is grace. Which leads us to our last point. Our standing before God has been transformed. Our justification can never be lost. This is verse nine. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received as reconciliation. We can have this fear in our lives that it's up to us to stay with God. We can have this fear of still dreading the wrath of God. And when we have those fears, we have them because we have forgotten the foundation of our salvation. We have forgotten justification. We no longer have to fear the wrath of God because the wrath of God has been satisfied by Christ's death. Therefore, since we now have been justified by his, by his blood, what he's saying is, now that we've been justified by the death of Christ, and Paul is gonna say, are we ever gonna undo that? 
Is it ever going to be, are we ever going to find something that goes, Christ didn't die for that thing, he died for the rest of them, but he didn't die for that thing. We don't have to fear the wrath of God because Christ's death is sufficient, but look how he, he, he expands that. Much more, this is, this is 10. For if we were enemies when we were reconciled to God by the death, death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we all be saved by his life. You see, Christ's death earned us the right to be the child of God. But his life guides us through our lives by his spirit into a new and living hope. This justification was a punctiliar moment. And what I mean by that is, is it happened. It was not and then it was. But that action has continual results that will never stop. And at the very beginning of it, God's wrath is satisfied and when we were declared righteous, but that declared righteousness gives us the access to God through his son. And that access allows us to live by his spirit, to live with him in our lives, to no longer say I'm on my own, but to say Christ is with me. I am in Christ. We are, we are living our, our lives with this new hope, looking to a future reality. Why? Because we've been reconciled to God. These realities that Martin Luther stumbled upon 500 plus years ago change how we live our lives every single day. When you wake up in the morning and you know, man, I'm struggling. Man, I'm weak. Man, I'm doubting. Man, I'm sinning. Man, I'm failing. Man, I'm falling. Man, I'm imperfect. It could be very easy for you to start sharing this message with yourself. You should, you should do better, Ryan. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You should try to work harder. You should try to fix that. God's not happy with you. God's not going to accept you like this. All of that is pre-Reformation language. All of that is you trying to make yourself righteous before the Lord so that God can accept you. But that's not what scripture says. That's not the realities of the gospel. It is come all to me who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest because I will declare you righteous and give to you what you could never do for yourself and you can walk in that hope. This message of the Reformation is obviously something that's near and dear to me. It's something that's near, near and dear to us here at this church because <clears throat> the only hope that we have in life and death is Christ. And the only hope that we have in life and death is not that we do enough, but that Christ has done enough. And I am thrilled to my core that I can stand up here and declare to you that for those who have placed their faith in Christ, can be declared righteous. Not because you've done enough. Not because you're good enough. Not because your faith is deep enough. But because Christ has done everything that has been required of God. Has satisfied God's wrath for us and adds that propitiation. And has offered us by grace through faith in Christ. For the glory of God alone that we can be saved. If you're here this morning and maybe this is the first time you've heard about the Reformation, maybe this is the first time that you've, you've heard the gospel declared in these terms that Paul uses, then maybe, maybe you're on that, on that journey that Martin Luther was on. 
Maybe you're not walking up stairs on your hands and knees praying every step of the way, but you're on whatever personal journey of, I'm just trying hard enough to save myself. Maybe you've got that thing out front of you. If I, if I just conquer this sin, if I just do this good thing, if I just fill in the blank, whatever it is in, in, in your own mind, and you're like, when I get there, then I'll be saved. I plead with you. Stop. Stop running. Stop turning to yourself and turn to Christ. Because what I can boldly declare to you today is that he will receive you not when you are strong, but when you are weak. Not when you're a friend, but when you're an enemy. Not when you've done enough, but when you realize you can never do enough and you look to him. As we turn our attention towards communion this morning, that's what these elements represent. The life that we need is found in him. The satisfaction of God's sin, no, sorry, I'm gonna say that again. The satisfaction of our sin the satisfaction of God's wrath because of our sin is found in his blood. We turn every week at the end of the service to remember that we are good with God, not because we've made ourselves righteous, but because we are declared righteous because of the justifying work of our Savior. If you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in him, again, you're hearing the words of the Reformation and the gospel and you just think, I don't know if I'm there. What I would ask is that you let these elements pass you by. We don't want you to take them because we don't want them to confuse you. We don't want you to go, oh, I'm saved because of this element because taking communion doesn't save you. It doesn't make you righteous. We take communion so that we can be reminded that the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the hope and the access that we have is from Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray and we can take this this morning. Lord, thank you for, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you allowed men to come that would one day open up scripture again, read the beautiful realities of Romans, that would read the beautiful realities of your, your justification for us. And thank you that we can stand here today resting in that. Lord, it's so easy for us get our eyes off of Christ and put them on ourselves. It's so easy for us to consider and start measuring up our own worthiness, our own abilities. Lord, that just leads us to despair. If there's anyone in this room this morning that, that's living their life that way, that's trying to conquer their own salvation through their own work, Lord, I would ask that you would gently break them and that you would lead them to repentance and that you would show them that their only hope in life and death is Christ. Lord, help us to live in these realities today and this week and for all of our lives so that when somebody looks at us and goes, what's the hope inside of you? We don't say our own, our own abilities, but we say it's Christ. In your son's name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.